Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app. We are so ready to join you on your personal journey from conflicted to centered. We want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned as you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the App Store. Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Emily Tish Sussman. You might have seen her on TV. After 15 years in DC politics, Emily pivoted out of her career after having two kids in 18 months. And now with three kids, Emily has launched her new podcast, She Pivots in partnership with Marie Claire that highlights other women and their personal journeys behind their pivots. So we are having Emily on today to talk about her experience with pivoting and about helping hopefully other women pivot as well if that's what they really need to have that awesome life that feels like it is intentional and purposeful for them. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Whitney. Perfect place to have this conversation. I feel like we might have a kinship here in the pivoting. (laughs) Absolutely. I absolutely have my own pivoting journey for sure. But I think as, as for some people that don't know you, tell us first a little bit about your journey kind of prior to the, to the pivot, your history kind of in DC politics, and then tell us where you are today and, and how you got there. So I've worked, as you mentioned in your wonderful intro, I've worked for about 15 years in federal politics, mostly in D.C. I was just a total workaholic. Like I was just a total politico workaholic. And I didn't even start that way. I just was, I always had so much energy, basically. Like I was so, I I would describe myself as being like fired up before Obama used the term fired up. Like I was so intense about wanting to change the world and seeing things that I, and I felt like, but I'm just one person, what could I change? So coming out of college, my first job was working on John Kerry's presidential campaign, which clearly dates me, that that is the year that I graduated in college. I had never thought about working on a campaign. Actually, I'll back up even a little more because you might appreciate this. I always thought I wanted to be a costume designer. Oh, yes. I almost went to art school. My first pivot, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So I almost went to art school and I ended up going to a liberal arts college and we had a speaker. So you may be closer to my age. You may remember the 2004 election that Ralph Nader played a very big part. 
So Ralph Nader was coming on campus to speak on my campus. And I was like, oh my God, I have to see this. And that day in my costume design class, I sewed my finger straight through the sewing machine and I pulled my finger out. So the needle from the sewing machine was in my finger. So I went to my freshman year of college, my first semester. So I went to the ER for them to take out the needle and they said, you know, we can do it this way or this way. I don't even remember what the options were, but I just said, whatever the fastest way is, because I have to get back on campus to see Ralph Nader. So that (laughs) should have been an indication that maybe costume design was not in my future, but but political (laughs) consulting was. So I went to go work on the John Kerry campaign and something just clicked for me. I had not been super successful in academics. I had just, it just didn't, it didn't click. Like it didn't feel like, I didn't think I was smart enough to be able to be good in school and be someone who was serious. Like I knew that I had all this passion, but I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I was smart enough to be someone who was serious. And then all of a sudden working on a campaign, it was all these things that I didn't know were skills and that I didn't know were actually useful in the workplace. Like I could really work hard and I could work long hours. That works really well on a campaign. You know, mm-hmm. I could keep the enthusiasm of my team moving together. I could like keep the camaraderie. That works really well when you guys have moved to a weird place and have no other friends. You know, (laughs) those things, suddenly I started to see myself as someone that could really be accomplished. And it aligned with my values. And that is so exciting as well. So we, spoiler alert, we did not win the campaign. I did not have a job afterwards. But so I went to law school. And like I had, I really had never seen myself as someone who was smart enough to go to law school. But I had met all these lawyers on the campaign and I thought, well, I can do it. I can probably do it. Yep. But, it, and, and that was where I really turned on. I felt like now I really have skills that I can take to really impact people's lives. Like if we change laws, the scale of the amount of people's lives that we can make better is huge. So mm-hmm. I graduated law school, went to work straight on the Obama campaign. And from there went to work in Washington. I'm a native New Yorker. I never, I went to law school in New York. I never thought I was going to leave New York, but it felt like in that moment, like everyone who wanted to change the world had moved to Washington. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll give it a year. I ended up working for a small nonprofit organization where we represented LGBT members of the military. So in, you remember at that time, the don't ask, don't tell law was still in effect. So we were their free legal counsel as they were being investigated for being gay in the military. Wow. So we were the legal counsel and I worked on the non, I worked on the government affairs side of the organization. So I actually worked on the repeal of don't ask, don't tell for two and a half years. So I meant I worked with Congress to like write the actual language, get the votes ready. I worked with the Pentagon on the largest personnel study they'd ever done on what would it look like if we gasp, you know, like allowed them people just like walk around like being gay. Can you imagine? I worked with media. I worked with our supporters. So to be in Washington. So again, spoiler alert, we won. The law was repealed. To be in Washington and to work and to have such a huge win and be so closely connected at that point I was to our constituency, it felt so incredible. And even at that time, I kind of knew I would be like chasing that high of how much good you can do because you don't Mm -hmm. have a really pure win all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after that, I worked, you know, in a variety of places. I ran the Young Democrats of America for Obama's reelection. I did a little consulting and I went to the Center for American Progress, the largest progressive think tank and ran campaigns and strategy for the next six years. And all during that time, I started going on TV as a democratic strategist. I was on cable news. So they said, like, like, let's hear from what the left thinks. Like, that was me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I did You're the left. (laughs) (laughs) I was like the talking left. (laughs) And so I did that starting with Obama's reelection in 2012 and did it consistently. You know, first I started talking about campaigns 
Then I talked about Congress. Then I would talk about, if it was on Fox News, like the general left. Sometimes I would be on TV every day for periods of time, sometimes more than once a day, and just did it consistently throughout. When So I became pregnant during the 2016 election, and I thought, okay, well, this is ruining my career because now I can't go work on Hillary Clinton's campaign because I can't have a baby on a campaign. It doesn't exist. People do not have babies on campaigns. It is not possible. So I stayed in my job and ended up having the baby five days after she took the nomination. So in August, for everyone who follows presidential timelines the same way that I do. And I was on CNN the day that I went into labor. I was on Kate Bowden's show for anyone who was wondering, what is the spicy show that sends someone to slavery? It's Kate's show. And I spent the rest of my maternity, you know, I went back on air after about four weeks and I would bring the baby with me to the green room so that I would feed in full hair and makeup before I went on air so that I wasn't leaking when I went on because I felt like I just couldn't, I couldn't sit it back. Like, what was I doing if I wasn't trying to help her win? The first day at the end of my maternity leave, like when that first day back in the office was the Monday after the election. So nobody was in my office. Everybody was just crying. People were not showing up to work. Like they used to call where I worked the White House and waiting. People's offices were literally packed up because I thought they were going into the White House. Yes. And in some ways it kind of provided a professional opportunity for me that I hadn't been there day to day. So I came in really feeling like I had a lot to prove that Mm -hmm. we could turn this think tank into a place that was relevant during the Trump administration, that could push back on laws, that could be helpful. And I did that for the first year of his presidency and the hours were killing me and the Mm -hmm. workload was killing me. Like beyond just like the regular grind of my old job and trying to prove that I was the same worker is that Trump would drop new policies with no warning Friday nights and Sundays. For any mom who's listening to that podcast, you know you have no childcare, Friday nights and Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) You're like trying to feed your kids breakfast and also trying to address what just happened. Oh my God. I I mean, for some reason, the DACA, I remember so clearly when he was said he was going to pull back DACA, like that one in particular really sticks in my mind that I was like running these like think tank wide calls while my baby like won't nap. Now it actually feels like what people do all the time. But, you know, it just became, I became pregnant again. And when I was coming back from my second maternity leave in 18 months, I thought, I can't do this. Like, I barely see the first kid. I didn't have a really strong connection to him because I'm not really connected to babies, which I can now acknowledge now that my kids are not babies. I didn't, I was just resentful. Like, I was really resentful at my kids. And I thought, I can't, like, if I'm going to not be resentful of them, I have to find a different way to do this. Yeah. So it was really difficult for me to leave the think tank. Emotionally, it was very, it was so much a part of my identity. Like I only knew myself as a workaholic. I didn't particularly want to be a parent. I didn't want that to be my identity. Yeah. I remember when I went in to tell the president of the think tank that I was leaving, she was so kind and she was so understanding. And the first thing she said to me was, are you going to take some time to step back? And I was, I was, I was so offended. Yeah. I was like, no, do you think I am not a good worker? You know, I get really offended actually when people go, You're doing so much and you have two kids. I'm like, So? You know, (laughs) like, I should be able to do it. I hear you on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I was so offended. So I immediately started taking consulting clients. I called everyone I knew and I said, Look, I'm going to consult now. Can you, you know, would you bring me in on whatever you're working on? 
And I started doing it from home. And this is, you know, like the pre-work from home time. And I felt like I had to prove that I was the same worker. I could do it. So I would spend all day sitting on the floor of my closet because that was the only place they couldn't find me. And I remember one day I was there like from morning till night and they were about to dinner. And I was like, wait, I'm working the same crazy hour. Who do I think I'm proving this to? Right. So it was around that time that I started the political podcast that it was called Your Political Playlist. My thinking then was, you know, I'd spent all this time at the think tank trying to, trying to get regular conversation about policy to people who want to understand it and just don't have the time. Yeah. And we could never do it from the think tank. We just couldn't break, we couldn't crack the code. So I thought, this is actually what I'm really passionate about. So I started doing that and I did that through the 2020 presidential election and into the beginning of the Biden presidency. I also had a third baby three weeks before the lockdown. And I mean, you know, like you, like everyone, it just it broke me. Like that time broke me. I lost myself. I lost my identity. I lost my, my ability to be productive in any way. Like if I could just make it through a day, that was one more day down. And I kept a little, you know, like a little work the whole time, but not the way that I envisioned myself. And I started to realize that, you know, I don't live in Washington anymore. I don't go to meetings every day. Like I'm not in the thick of it maybe this is just not where I'm supposed to be right now. Mm-hmm. And I had started doing some writing, especially during election times, women's magazines and mommy podcasts really come for me because I can mm-hmm. talk about mom policies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when I really get a lot of, a lot of bookings, a lot of attention then. And so, you know, I had started a relationship with some magazines. I had been mm-hmm. writing for them. And so I went to Marie Claire and said, look, I want to tell these stories. Like I want to, I need, I need stories of inspiration of women who have gone through things they didn't think they could get through, you know, and it didn't happen. Like in my case, it was having three kids in three years in a lock in a lockdown. I actually don't want that to be everybody's story because that could just be unbelievably depressing. I want single women to see themselves in this. I want older women to see themselves in this. I want people to be able to see themselves in that moment when they think, I really don't, like, I have to rearrange my vision of myself. And yeah. some, the thing that comes out can actually be better than I even thought it could be. And I yes. want to tell those stories. So Marie Claire said, yes, let's tell those stories. And they did not have any audio. So now we, are la- we have launched She Pivots the Podcast with Marie Claire. So I'm excited to be a part of their first audio. Oh, I think it's so important because I think a lot of what happens for moms in particular, but women, is that when they get into those places where they feel really stuck, they feel so alone. They feel like nobody sees them. They feel like they're the only one. They feel like there must be something wrong with them because everybody else on their Instagram page is sharing that things are still like amazing. And they feel like they should be like able to be super mom and super worker and super all the things. And to be able to highlight people's stories in, I'm sure, vulnerable ways that really show what was the thing that was that pivot moment? What is the thing where you realize, like you said, it actually could be better than what you were in before if we're able to kind of accept and learn and lean into that moment that is the pivot moment. 
have you already talked to guests? Have you already like interviewed people? Tell me about some like exciting people that you guys have on tap. Yeah, so we, we have. We finished almost all for this first season. I'm not sure when this airs, but we kicked off, I'll say it in the past. We kicked off with a really interesting episode with Sophia Bush, the actress, and her business partner, mm-hmm. and also her best friend, Nia Batts. They opened a salon in Detroit in 2018, I believe. And it shut during the pandemic and they didn't try to reopen it. Instead, what they decided to do was take that information that they had learned from running a small women-owned business and be able to seed other women-owned businesses who are trying to start up. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk with them and tell their story that, you know, people may recognize their names or their faces, but not know this aspect of them and the story and, and what they've gone through. I will say some, so we have, we're going to launch with Sophia and Nia. We have on Reshma Sanjani, the founder of Girls Who Code and the Marshall Plan for Moms, mm-hmm. you know, telling a different aspect of her story than I think people would be familiar with. We have Peloton instructor, Selena Samuela, also telling, you know, after we finished the recording, she said, you know, this is really, I've, I've never told this story in this way, which is actually a feedback from a lot of our guests that we get is that even if there's pieces of their story they've told, They've never necessarily thought about it as a personal event that changed their perspective. And then they built on that to change their career. So I love being in partnership with them on that. Are there common themes that you're seeing of this so far of, huh, this is like the recipe that allows somebody to pivot or to learn from that moment? Or these are kind of the common threads that seem to be happening with each of these women that you interview with. Or do you find that every person's story is so uniquely different that there's no commonality between them? Well, I hope they're uniquely different in that they're of, of interesting enough episodes. So sure. in that sense, <laughs> I mean, we, we were very <laughs> Yeah, totally. We were very specific that we wanted every every kind of what I call like the intervening life event that leads to the pivot to be different. So in this first season, every one of those life events is different because we wanted everyone to be able to see themselves in it. I would say that this common thread that we're seeing, which is again, like the same thing that I need, the same thing that so many women I need, I know need is that when you're going through it, it's, it feels so lonely, just as you said, it's really hard to see how things are going to be better on the other side. In order to get to the step that'll take you to success, you need to give yourself a little space to breathe and a little space to heal. And then yeah. that, with that perspective allows you to build on, you know, whatever the past career was, the past lesson was, to be able to fit those pieces together to see a new path, you have yeah. to give yourself some space for it. I mean, one of our guests is 53. I'm sorry. She is 100. Her pivot is when she was 53. Yeah. And she says that she only real she didn't really know who she was until she was 53. And something like that I'm like, well, I mean, that sounds amazing. Like I have so much left of life to live. I don't have to have it all figured out now. You know how like in high school you could join different clubs depending on your interests or things people were into? I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable. And it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. 
We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? Voila, welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you, 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at modernmommydoc.com. Robin Arzone from Peloton always talks a ton about this idea of like, no one interesting has ever had an easy life. Like no one interesting just like flew through hard times. It was totally fine. Right. Like I think there's a lot of camaraderie for women in this idea of like, is there some moment of embracing or of accepting or just being like still in these storms that kind of bring us to our knees and then moving forward more powerfully from there? I know that for me as a mom of a kiddo who is autistic, you know, I had so many ideas as a pediatrician and as a medical provider of what my life would be like, you know, of like, of course I'll be the one who has perfectly sleep trained kids and they'll eat all their vegetables and they'll be kind to like, you know, their grandma, you know? And like, when you have a kid who's neurodivergent, like, does it, like who knows what's going to show up on that day? You know what I mean? Like, no, you know? And it really took though, this idea of like, I'm going to almost like sink into what my life is, what are like the cards that I've been dealt? What's my particular situation? What's my struggle? Yep. I'm down on my knees with this kid who's ripping drapes off the walls in order to find a path career wise for me in terms of purpose or intention that actually fit even better with my, with my values. I'm I'm resonating with what you said about this idea of like all the political campaigns and all of that, that you found like, I'm totally in alignment. I'm an energetic person. I have all these pieces that fit with me. And yet still in the end, maybe it wasn't your total path that you were able to switch to something else that fulfilled you even more or fit more with your entire picture as a working mom or as a person. Does that, is that fair? A hundred percent. And you know what actually made it even harder for me to step away from the think tank is that the job had been created for me. And it had been created for a version of me that didn't have kids. So like they, they, they created this job to bring me on board. And so the pieces of it, because I had been consulting for them and then they wanted me to come on on board. And I said, well, this is what the job would have to look like. And the way that we had created it was that, you know, I had to have a hand in a variety of things. I had to be involved in the news cycle, which in Washington changes 400 times a day. I had to be you know, keep my brain in a hundred ways. And that was the perfect fit for me before kids. And it was very, very hard for me to acknowledge that it was not the right fit for me with kids, especially when I didn't really see myself as my identity being tied to parenting. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm in sort of a weird space that right now, and people ask me what I do and I'm like, I'm a a podcast host. I like, I don't (laughs) totally know. I I don't know. Like I'm a lawyer, but like I haven't practiced law in a while. Like I don't really know (laughs) 
How you exactly? Just say you're a badass. Just say I'm a badass. That's it. <laughs> well, I don't really know how to describe it because you know I found myself. You know, I work for a women's lifestyle magazine now, and I find yeah. myself in like a lifestyle parenting space. But I really don't see my identity as a parent. Like I am a person who is kind of the same person I was before. Maybe just fumes of it. I don't know. But yeah. doing it with three, <laughs> like remnants of the person I was before. There's some identifiable pieces. Oh, I love what you said at the beginning. People might recognize me from cable news. I was like, probably not. They had hair and makeup <laughs> people there, and now my hair is purple. Like they probably don't recognize me. <laughs> Well, that's okay. Honestly, you know, I tell all uh, all the people on my team, they're like, we're going to have an interview. I'm like, oh, it better not be on video because I only put on makeup and clean my house when my mom comes over. That's the only times, you know. <laughs> you know, what's actually been so funny is that my two-year-old is so into putting on makeup. She loves it. Like she won't only put on makeup without her and she like rubs it all over her face. And honestly, it's going to sound like a promo plug, but like, thank God for Say Beauty with their all natural ingredients because I let my kid put it all over her face. But it's the funniest thing to me because I barely wear makeup. Yeah. Like, I don't know where she got so excited about it from. Like, where did she see this makeup going on? I know. I know. That's how I feel, too. It's like the antithesis. It's like, you know, like if your parents never have candy, then that's what you want constantly is candy. Well, I actually think that brings up a good point about our kids and, and, and about this whole idea of pivoting. I mean, what I want the most for my daughters as they grow into being adults is to have the freedom to be who they are, you know, to be wake up, makeup wearing or non makeup wearing, or, you know, a barista or a political consultant or whatever the heck they want to be. But I also want them to have the awareness of themselves and the attunement to themselves to change who they are, depending on what the circumstances are that come their way and what they learn. I, I I'm like you, like, I'm actually not a baby person at all. I really love like, you know, meeting new families in the clinic, but I tell all the parents in the nursery, like, you're going to need to change the diaper. I've already done enough of this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so this one's yours. Yeah, this one's yours, you know, but the things that prior to having kids, I would have been okay with or wanted in a career or wanted in my life are very different now than where I am. And even they're different than when my kids were super little, you know, like, and I'm sure it'll be different once they move out of the house. Yeah. First of all, I really look forward to a day where I feel like I'll have enough brain space to be even thinking about where I'm going. I guess I don't totally know where I'm going. Like this show was really important to me to put out into the world and to launch. I have all of these political properties that I have out from being a political consultant. I actually Mm -hmm. last week decided to continue consulting for one political organization because I just can't stop myself and I'm a glutton for punishment. You know, now at the Supreme Court, it feels like how can I walk away Yes. from the right to choose and for women's bodily autonomy. So I'm not sure this is going to be the right time for me to walk away either. But I don't really know where I'm going. And that's a little scary, but maybe okay in this moment. There were actually two podcasts. It's funny you bring up about, the, about what you want your kids to be. There, was, there were actually two podcasts that I was developing at the same time. And I figured, let me see where they go. And this one really mm-hmm. took off. And it has really resonated with people that have contacted me about it. At least in my inner circle, it feels like no one knows what they're doing or where they're going. (laughs) (laughs) But the other one that I want to do is about, is about my son. I wrote an article in January that ended up being the top performing article on Marie Claire for two weeks, which tells Mm -hmm. me that it is resonating with other people. And the title is, I I want sensitivity to be be the new strong. Mm -hmm. That my son is very sensitive and I want to embrace who he is 
but I also want him to be resilient. And I don't feel like I have parenting tools for that right now. I think we are the first generation thinking about embracing sensitivity in men in particular and letting them be their whole selves. Like, interestingly, we've allowed women and girls over the last couple of years to be their full selves, yeah, but still not boys. No, right. So this is the other podcast I want to do. So I don't know. Maybe we'll do it together. I don't know. It's I just was chatting with Isla Scherzer. She's from Wise Parenting and all of her stuff is super evidence-based. And, and I was saying to her, you know, I think that parents in this moment are having this hard time. And we didn't mention boys specifically, but I think it relates to them specifically. Where like their parents had a lot of authoritarian kind of ideas about like, do as I say, this is the way you just listen to me. And that we're getting all of this new information and new research around teaching our kids empathy, teaching them sensitivity, teaching them how to do this, but that we're having a very hard time in the moment marrying, how do I help my kids be resilient? How do I help them to be able to be quote unquote strong while also having them be able to have their emotions, right? Like how do I find that? And I think that that's a lot of our like questioning and finding a lot of like trying to look out in the internet on Google for all kinds of information because it really is a hard balance. And what she was saying is that you have an inner child, of course, people have been talking about inner child all the time, but you also have like an inner parent. You have like the inner systemic conditioning that you've had politically, you know, from media, from your own parents of like, what is it that it means to be a good parent? And that's probably the next reckoning for us is marrying like this new information and research that we have with our own experiences and how that really tugs at our heart to be like, no, this does not feel good. I can't follow my gut because my gut says I should put you in a timeout and leave you there for five minutes. You know what I mean? And what you really well, need so is me to be your I mean, it's so funny you bring up the example of the timeout. I think I am literally the last parent of our generation that gives timeouts. And I do. I do. If they hit their siblings, they get a timeout. And I actually brought it up at school because my kid was being hit by the same kid every day. And I was like, well, when does she get timeouts? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, then they looked at me like I was the worst parent on earth. And they were like, this school does not believe in timeouts. And I was like, well, I Clearly, your other version isn't feeding my kid from getting hit. Was like, not to work out, and I do still have some of those tendencies. But you know, I think because I was so resistant to seeing myself as a parent, I really didn't do any research. Like I was, I, yeah. my water broke at home with my first child, and I had not a bag packed, and I walked my dogs around the block, and I went to the hospital and was like, I think I'm having a baby. I have no idea, and yeah. that made the in it. I mean, it broke me. It was impossible. Like it made it so hard, but I will say that on the, and I felt so alone as you were, you know, as you were saying, like breastfeeding was horrible for me, but I kept doing it, which by the way, I've become like an anti-breastfeeding crusader now because I thought it was so horrible. Um, and I kept doing it. I didn't know any better. I thought we all had to, but I have to say that now I have a lot of confidence in my own parenting because yeah. it's my way. It's yeah. what res and and my three kids are very different from one another. As as sensitive as my son is, my two daughters are like knock them down ballers. Yeah. And intimidate the hell out of my older son. And my husband, if we're gonna be honest. <laughs> so, you know, like I didn't do any of the research, but I do have more confidence in my own parenting now. So, yeah. you know, mixed bag. Like I lost myself for five years, but I feel great now. 
<laughs> Small price to pay, no big deal. <laughs> no, I love it. And actually, let me be let me be very clear. I am a huge fan of timeouts. I actually think that I will like put that on record. As a pediatrician, we are fans of timeouts. We think that, you know, it doesn't need to, it's not your only tool in your toolbox, but it is a tool in your toolbox. And when people cross physical lines, Kids need timeouts and parents often need timeouts too. <laughs> Honestly, don't like I need to give myself a timeout sometime. Like, do I want to keep myself from like blowing over the top and yelling at them? Like, I'm gonna give myself a timeout. We we tend to phrase it as like go to, to go to a different room and gather yes. your feelings. Yes. But I, I can't say that we haven't gone to an actual timeout for no. sure. <laughs> We've been there. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Emily, it has been amazing to have you on the show. And I think I'm really excited to hear all the episodes on the new podcast. Will you tell listeners where they can find out more? Because I think they're going to be inspired, encouraged. And I hope that if they're thinking about making a pivot in their life, or they find themselves at a place where they feel like something has to change, that they will be incredibly encouraged to make, make that change. Take that action. Yes. We are doing this at the perfect time because my son's play date is apparently approaching as you can hear behind me. She pivots the podcast. You can find it wherever you get podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify. We're on Instagram at she pivots the podcast. If you want to get a little behind the scenes and we'll always have coverage in Marie Claire. So marieclaire.com slash she pivots. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.